Morning. Morning. Great to have you here. Enjoying our weather. Some of you are. Come on, admit it. Some of you are. I got pictures this morning from my children with fires in their fireplace last night saying, oh man, fires in the fireplace, so fun. Christmas is just around the corner. And I just thought, eh. I have an attitude problem, okay? It's like we're not supposed to get rain until October 15th. That's just, uh, anyway, I'm gonna miss the sun. All right. Um, yeah, so let's just take time right now to pray for Bill's attitude. <laughs> Oh, this is going to be a long winter. Um, we're in Genesis, and um, that's not why it's going to be a long winter, okay? We're in chapter 37 today, and um, here's what we're going to do. We are, uh, we're going to introduce Joseph today, um, very important, interesting person in the Old Testament. And then we're, next week, we're going to take a break from Genesis for the month of October. Five weeks in October, five Sundays in October. Bless you, whoever that was. And um, uh, we're going to look at uh, something that was so interesting to the disciples as they walked, as the disciples were walking with Jesus. They noticed that he was doing something different than they were doing. And um, so they asked us, and, and, and they actually asked them, teach us how to pray. Now, they grew up praying. I mean, they, they, had, they had been schooled in prayer. And yet, there was something different. And so we're going to spend a month looking at, um, how did Jesus pray different than us? And what, is it, what, what does he want us to, to get a hold of? that um, really there's, there's a meaning behind prayer that we're meant to understand um, that changes everything. And so we're gonna look at that over the next few weeks. I'm really excited about it. You know, if you're like me, um, when I think of prayer, it's, I just instantly think, oh yeah, I, I need to do better. Um, but this is gonna be, this will not be condemnation. This will be um, hopefully motivation. And, uh, and, and bring new life to your time with God. So excited about that. We're going to do that through the month of October. And then in uh, November, we'll get back to Genesis, and we're going to finish Genesis before Christmas, all right? And so that's the plan, Lord willing. That's what we're doing. Now, as we've been looking at Genesis, the first 11 chapters of Genesis looks at, you know, God being the intelligent designer and creator behind all of creation. It looks at, um, his, what was his intent with creation? What, was, what would, did he desire in his relationship with humanity? And then how did that all get mixed up and messed up to where we see what we see in the world today with disasters and, and evil and chaos? And, and yet this was God's creation. What's going on here? And so first 11 chapters kind of kind of lays that out for us, and it kind of skips hundreds of years, centuries at a time, and then we'll, we'll all of a sudden touch down at one point in time in ancient history, and we'll learn about what people are doing and how God's responding to that and what his intention was, and then we'll go another hundred years, or you know, and we'll, we'll skip centuries at a time, first 11 chapters. Then chapter 12, all of a sudden we slow way down 
because then we start looking at this one family, the descendants of Abraham, and we look at um, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and um, we go much slower, we only skip decades at a time with them as we're following their lives and really seeing this common theme of God is good, he will carry out his plans and he will be faithful even when we're, we're not. And, and the plans of God happen um, with us joining them or without us joining them. And God is good and in, in the midst of it all. He's a gracious and patient God. Now we get to chapter 37 and we're introduced to Joseph. Joseph is the focus um, at least the main player in the last 14 chapters of the book of Genesis. So when we hit Joseph, we, we slow it down even more. And we're not going to you know, jump into his, eye, or into his life after centuries. We're going to jump in, nor are we going to do it like even after decades. But um, we'll skip some years. But we are going to, to go through Joseph's life for 14 chapters, 28%. Of the entire book of Genesis is on Joseph. Joseph is one of, you know, we, we've been looking at train wrecks a lot as far as people. Um, but Joseph is one of those people in the Bible that's like, oh my goodness, this guy's faithful. This guy is keeping his eyes on God, um, even in the midst of really tough stuff. And, uh, he, you know, Probably Joseph and Daniel are the two guys in the Bible that I, I think were consistently faithful to God, uh, at least in the Old Testament. And so Joseph, we're going to have fun looking at his life. And, and so here is one of the things about Joseph's life that is relatable. And, um, and I know in this room this morning, some of you are here and you have heavy, heavy hearts. You are here because life has um, kicked you in the teeth and you don't know why. Uh, you, you don't know why you're in the place, how you got into the place that you're at, but you know that it's a place that you don't wanna be and it's uncomfortable and it's painful. And it causes you to think, um, is God in this? It, does God, is he even aware or is he just powerless? Or wh what's going on? Where's God in this? And that was the experience of Joseph, having things constantly happen in his life that gave him every right to shake his fist at God. And yet we will begin to see, um, even today at the very end, how, how he responds to that. And um, so this is for you. This is for you. I, I hope that this brings comfort. And, and we all go through different seasons and different things and um, can relate to difficulty in life because life is hard. And sometimes it feels completely out of control. And uh, where's God in it? And this helps us get a glimpse of, of the work of God. All right. So Joseph, by the way, is the, is the son of Jacob. Jacob was the favorite son of his mother. His twin brother was the favorite son of his father. Um, that having favorites was a problem. I mean, it caused such great pain. It caused division in Jacob's relationship with his twin brother. And so what does he do when he have kids? He picks a favorite. It's like, you know, why, why, why don't we learn? But um, it's interesting, sometimes unwittingly, we pass on uh, the sins of our parents and generational sins 
And, um, and that's what Jacob is doing. So here we are, chapter 37, verse one. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. And there are, there are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, so we're entering Joseph's life as a teenager, he was, um, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah, and that's one of Jacob's wives. Um, and that right there is just like, that's messed up. I mean, whenever you have to ask a question of someone, you know, of all of your wives, which one is the favorite? You know, that's, that's not good. I mean, that's, that, that's a messed up family, and it was a common thing in those ancient times, but it was a messed up thing, and we constantly are seeing um, how it, it's messed up. Why did it happen? Well, I think, you know, guys were quicker to die. There were more ways that they could die. Um, women were c- closely connected to the family that they were able to bear, and so if, you, if there weren't enough guys around, that was a problem. Um, as far as in that culture, how women were viewed as valuable, which is a terrible thing. It's a messed up culture, nothing right about it, but that's what they were living in. And it was wrong and God's not, wasn't for it. And he just keeps on showing where, uh, there's just, this is just dumb. And, uh, but that's where the culture they're living in. Now Israel, we'll see. Nope. I think I skipped. Um, and Joseph brought a bad report of his brothers to their father. And so Joseph is the youngest and he's out there and he's a tattler, all right? Verse three, now Israel loved Joseph. Israel is the new name for Jacob, all right? So Jacob, you see Jacob or you see Israel, same person. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a robe of many colors. And so for some of you, you're going, is this? Yes, it's Donny Osmond. You know, it, um, the Technicolor dream coat. Um, and so that, this is the coat that they're talking about that uh, Jacob made for his son, Joseph, because he was his favorite. Verse four, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Um, you know, this happens a lot in families where there is a, there is a um, chosen one, the one that mom and dad, you know, love more, treat better. You know, they don't have to eat their vegetables. They don't have a curfew. They, you know, they, they get to do things that the other kids didn't get to do. And as much um, angst as the other kids have towards mom and dad, they hate the brother more or the sister more who's the chosen one. And that's true in Jacob's family with his kids. He's got, um, he's got 12 sons, and uh, Joseph is the second to the youngest, and the other 10 just despise Joseph. They, you know, they hate him, it says. And so, um, maybe you were raised in that. You know, maybe you were raised in a home with multiple children, and you know that um, if there was a favorite, it wasn't you. And you live with that. And there's just angst and things you've had to deal with in life as far as your perspective of yourself and, and others that has just been an ongoing thing. And so my encouragement to us is um, let's not do that with our kids. 
Let's not do it with our kids. I mean, let's look at how to spend meaningful time with each of our kids and let them know that they're specifically known and individually known and loved. And maybe, you know, maybe dad, you have a son that man has a wicked slider and you just, you just connect to him. And then you have a daughter who's, um, she's a dancer. She loves ballet. And you're going, I don't know anything about it. I don't even know how to connect to it. I would just tell you, learn. You know, learn, become a student of your daughter. Um, if you got a little pet nickname for one of them, you know, that's really endearing. Well, then, you know, come up with nicknames for the other ones. Oh, I, I've done that, Bill. I've got champ, and I, I have princess, and I have knucklehead. You know, just, uh, it's, it's like, no, 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 I think they may catch on to that. You know, um, but let's just break those generational sins, and uh, let's love our kids, and, um, you know, treat them uniquely, but equally valuable and loved. All right, verse five. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him. This is the second time hated him is in here. They hated him even more. And he said to them, here's this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Oh, Joseph. Uh, you know, sometimes you get a glimpse of like how God's using you. And um, you don't always have to tell other people. You know, you say, Some things are okay not to, not to share. Verse eight. And his brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him, third time, hated him, even more for his dreams and for his words. Okay, so here's, here's a lesson for us. Joseph, you know, got a good heart, and we're going to see it grow and grow, and he, it's, it's going to be um, impressive and humbling and inspiring. But right now, as a young guy, um, he's got a problem, and it's not necessarily a sin problem. It's an EQ problem. All right, good intentions. Oh man, I got a glimpse of maybe God's gonna use me in a special way and gonna do something in my life that's probably way more significant than yours. And, and he's excited about it and he, he just shares it without a filter. And um, what that is called is a lack of emotional intelligence, emotional quotient, EQ. And um, it is why, and maybe this is in your own life, maybe you struggle with this, or maybe you know people, and it's like, oh yeah, bingo, bingo, bingo. Um, but then you also might ask your spouse, is this me? Um, is highly intelligent people who, who are very successful in a lot of things can be relational danger. Uh, they can be a bull in the, China, in the China shop because they have no ability to anticipate how the words they're gonna say is gonna impact other people emotionally. All right? And, and we all have done it, and we all have seen it. And, um, and it's a problem. It, it's, it's a bigger problem than IQ. Uh, it, it's, I mean, studies show that if you do not, if you have a high IQ but low EQ, um, you have real caps on your ability to be effective in whatever you do. 
We, we need to grow in our emotional intelligence. Here's a couple things, a couple definitions. Um, it's the ability to understand our own feelings and the feelings of others. It is to increase empathy, is to recognize, connect with, and appropriately respond to emotions. It's the capacity to blend thinking and feeling so that you can make optimal decisions. All right, so um, without EQ, um, we could, I mean, we, God could bless us. God could uh, give us gifts and abilities that he wants to use in us. And I mean, we can take blessings and let's say, um, let's say your good friends are out of work and they're struggling financially. And um, you just got a huge bonus from business. You, you're able to upgrade your house Buy a, brand, buy a brand new car, and you just go to them and say, oh man, God is so good. God is so good to me. He, he just blesses. I was able to buy a new house and a new car. And you're talking to somebody who is just struggling, trying to figure out why I'm at, where I'm at, and why am I struggling financially. And so that's called lack of EQ. When you don't anticipate how your words can impact somebody else. That's Joseph's problem. He's excited, he just got a glimpse, he feel like God gave him a glimpse of maybe doing something significant in his future. And he knows that, hey, somehow he's gonna do something significant in me that is gonna somehow impress my family to where they're gonna bow for me. And are they gonna bow for him? Yeah, they eventually will but he doesn't have the wisdom or the sensitivity to know if he just goes to them and starts saying this, how arrogant that it sounds. Hey, God's gonna do something in me and it's gonna be way more significant than whatever he's gonna do in your life. So much so that you're going to just you know, fall on your face below, before me. It's, that is it's just dumb, it's just foolishness and He's not aware of it. And so what do we need to do with that? Well, we can grow. Wherever you're at, I mean, I do believe that uh, the personality that we are born with uh, impacts our ability to naturally be good at, at EQ. Um, but we all can get better. We all can grow in it. And so we need to grow in it, know, knowing that that one of the things God says is most important things in life, love God and then love others. If we're gonna love others, then we have got to learn how to grow in being emotionally connected to ourselves and others and to know how that impacts our relationships. And so we need to grow on this. Unfortunately, Jacob was not a, a good parent. I mean, he did not invest in his son saying, um, at one point, he gets to the place where he gets mad at him. It's like, you're gonna say, you think I'm gonna bow to you? And then he gets mad at him, tells him, hey, Joe, shut up. But he doesn't talk about, hey, you know, God may have talked to you. And so let's just talk about how you deal with stuff like that. How do you, how do you deal with stuff like that that's um, where you can take it in and yet be sensitive to those around you? I mean, being gifted and being blessed by God is not an excuse to be a jerk, okay? 
And so, and Joseph is missing, missing the boat on that. And it says three times his brothers, his brothers are hating him and they're hating him more and they're hating him more. And so how does Joseph learn? Let's see, verse nine. Then he dreamed another dream. Okay, here we go. And told it to his brothers and said, behold, I have dreamed another dream. And they gotta be thinking, oh boy, tell us, tell us, we can't wait. And let me tell you what had happened. The, the, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. 11. Hmm. 11 brothers. I mean, some people live and learn. That's what we should do. And other people just live. That's a problem. And Joseph was just living. Verse 10. But when he told it to his father... And to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? Well, yes, actually, but he still doesn't need to share it. Um, Verse 11, and his brothers were jealous of him because his father, but his father, listen to this, his father kept a saying in mind. I, I, I find that interesting. Because there was times in Jacob's life where Jacob heard directly from God. And you know, those were significant encounters with God. And so Jacob's going, did Joseph have one of those? Is this God giving Joseph a glimpse of how he wants to work in his life? So he rebukes his son and he's thinking maybe it's legit but he doesn't help his son. And so God gives Joseph a glimpse that he'll do something special and look through um, and work through the life of Joseph. And, uh, and Joseph is just insensitive to how, and how he communicates that to others. You know, when I, when I think of Joseph and his brothers, I don't know if I had like when I, as a kid in Sunday school, when they talked about this, they were, you know, what picture they showed us, you know, on the flannel graph, you know, kind of the flannel thing up there or what. But I, I kind of have a picture, when I've always thought about the story, I kind of, it, the picture is sitting around the breakfast table in the morning and all the brothers have like superhero pajamas on with footsies and um, they're eating Captain Crunch. And, uh, but, you know, you look at this, Joseph is, well, is the 11th young, you know, in the line of, age and he's 17 and so his brothers are grown men so he's telling these things not to just a bunch of little kids like him but he's telling them to men and these men are not great men i mean a couple chapters before we find out that two of them go and they they slaughter a whole town of men another of them uh the oldest, Reuben, wanted to show, I mean, it, it's just kind of a thing of, I, I'm, I'm the alpha male, and, and in his foolishness, he ends up having sex with one of his dad's concubines. And uh, they're, they're, they're not great citizens. I mean, these, these are not the salt of the earth. And so Joseph wet behind the ears, young guy, 
who goes into the fields to work, but really he's spying on his brothers to report back to dad. And his brothers are grown men. They're the ones that have helped build the business. They're the ones that have put the sweat in out in the desert with the herds. And yet, uh, Joseph is the golden one. Now he's given this coat. And um, yeah, that's not, a, that's, that's not Carhartt coat. That's not a working coat. That, that is a coat that you wear around and don't work. And they're just disgusted with them. So now all the boys go out to work again. And they take the flocks with them. And they're all out there working except Joseph. And um, they, in Israel or any desert climate, if you have herds, you've got to go with the herds to where you can find some grass. And um, so they go and they keep going and they go all the way to Shechem, which we know is bad sight. It's, it's the place where the two brothers wiped out the men. And so they go up to that area. Maybe Jacob has land up there and he's thinking maybe there's some grass on that land. And so they take a trip, they go north and they go north 50 miles and they take their herds up there and they get to Shechem. There's no, there's no um, grass there. And so they move 10 miles farther north. And I don't know what's, if Jacob knows all this or what he's thinking, but he says, okay, Joseph, I'm kind of worried about how things are going. So would you go up and check to see on your, see your brothers, see how they're doing, see how the flocks are doing, um, see if they're doing well with the family business and then come back and report to me. So Joseph heads on up. So Joseph goes north and Joseph eventually went after his brothers and found them at Dothan, which is 10 miles farther north in Shechem. 18, and they saw him from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired to kill him. Now, um, from afar, you see somebody coming. It's like, well, how are you gonna recognize him from way off? Well, apparently... Um, Nobody else had a coat quite like Joseph. You know, so, so from far off, they know it's Joseph. Look how bright that coat is. And they know he's not dressed to work. And they just seethe. You know, they're, they're, they've had enough. This is, and they just kind of decide together, we're, we're not taking this anymore. We're going to deal with golden boy. So verse 20, come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And those are cisterns. And so out in the fields, you know, in the Middle East, and to this day, you go to, you go to Israel, if you ever take a tour with us in Israel, you, you will, there are cisterns everywhere. And um, on the, the base of the hills, uh, they would get heavy rain, but not often. So when it rained, they needed to catch that rain. And so they would... Um, at the base of hills when they'd figure out the, the flow of the runoff of water and, uh, and it would run off because everything was so dry it didn't really penetrate that far and, and everything there is limestone. You go farther north, there's more basalt but it's, it's a, just a big hunk of rock. And so if they would just go right below the, the topsoil and there would be limestone and so they would start picking through the limestone and, and make a hole big enough that the, the waters coming down would, would run into that hole. And then they would go jump in the hole and start picking and underneath they'd make this huge cavern. And um, then they would plaster the walls of it to seal it so it wouldn't go through any of the cracks of the limestone. And so they would catch the rain so throughout the year they could, 
um, tap into that for, for themselves as well, as well as for their flocks. But this one is empty. And so they take Joseph and they just toss him down into this pit, this cistern. And then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him. And we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, Reuben's the oldest, okay? Reuben's, Reuben's the one that is um, in trouble with his dad for the stupid things he's done. When Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of the, their hands, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, cast him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him. Okay, so that's all good. Reuben's stepping up, doing something good. But then all of a sudden we get a glimpse of his motives. 23, so when Joseph came to his, nope, no, where am I at? End of 22. Then it says that he, Reuben, might rescue him, Joseph, out of their hand, his brother's hands, and restore him to his father's. And so he's saying, hey, let's throw him in the pit and we'll decide what to do later. But he's thinking, hey, tonight when everybody's asleep, I'm gonna rescue him and take him 50 miles south back home to dad and say, hey, the brothers were gonna kill him, but I saved his life. And he's thinking, man, dad's gonna like me more than the brothers, because there's kind of a theme happening here with dad's affection for people. And so, stopped him, good. Motivation, not good. 23, so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe and the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him, they cast him into the pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. And so, um, Here's one of the things I think that is going on here. You know, Joseph is, is kind of insensitive. He's not realizing uh, the impact of his words. He's not understanding how to handle the glimpses that God's giving into his life about his giftedness and his future blessing. And he's just not sure how to deal with it. And God says, you need a timeout. And one of the things that I think is going on here, sometimes God allows us to experience the pits as an opportunity for us to get over ourselves. It's just a wake-up call. It's just to remind us, hey, you know, we are not as in control of things as we think. There is a God in this world who has work, who is at work, and he actually knows more than us. And I think for Joseph is, uh, you know, he had to have this beautiful coat stripped from him and his future crowds that he thought were going to adore him and bow to him and to be isolated in a pit, not knowing what's gonna happen, but knowing this is not good. This is not where I expected to be. You see, when, when God blesses us or gives us a glimpse that he's using us in the lives of others, um, when we see God's plan for our life and we think it's all about my life, then we're, we're messed up. See, because God's plan for our life is not all about our life, but it's about his kingdom. And he says, I have a plan for you to build not your kingdom, but my kingdom. And so if you start seeing the blessings of God and the goodness of God in your life, and you think, oh, me, my kingdom, look, what I, how can I leverage this to, to build more influence and affluence for myself? We just got our eyes off of God and his kingdom. And so I, th I think 
maybe for a moment, Joseph was excited about what God was going to do in his life and was focused on, wow, I'm going to have a good life. These things are going to be awesome. Man, it's going to be great ruling over people. And he wasn't thinking, uh, God, how are you going to do this? How's this going to advance your work? Um, I, I, I need, if I'm going to be in a position of influence, then I need to learn to serve you and to know you well. And he's, he's getting a hard lesson here. And what does it mean to be a servant in the kingdom of God? And Jesus talked about this. Jesus talked about himself saying, if you want to be somebody who's used by God the Father to advance the work of God, to build his kingdom, then be like me, Jesus. And here's what I'm like, Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man, Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that's kingdom leadership. And I think that's what Joseph needed to know. That Joseph, in order to be ready to lead, um, you first have to know how to serve. And so Joseph was given a little bit of humble pie here, a little message that you're not in control, a little message that maybe this is not about your life, but it's about God's kingdom. And we need to get our eyes on him. Verse 31 to 35, the brothers take Joseph's robe and rub it in a bunch of goat's blood. Take a goat, they kill him, they get the blood, take the robe, tear it, you know, rub it in the, into the dirt, get it filthy, all torn, and then they soak it with blood, and then they take it back to dad. And, uh, and they go to, go to Jacob and say, hey, you know, did you happen to send Joseph out for us? Because I don't know, but this kind of reminds us of his robe and gives it to dad. And dad's going, okay, there's, there's no other robe like this. This is my son's robe. And he instantly thinks you know, some wild beast had attacked Joseph out in the wilderness when he's looking for his brothers and killed him. He's dead. And he's distraught. And he's grieving. And he's in anguish. And his son's going, hey, is there anything we can do to help? Well, maybe telling him the truth that your son's actually alive, that might have helped. But there's 10 of them all in this plot together seeing their dad suffer, and um, they just let it go. Let them, let them suffer. Verse 28. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the, out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. So it says, okay, Midianite traders passed by, and they sold him to Ishmaelites. Which one was it? And I think it was both. Um, by the way, Midian was a son of Abraham. Ishmael was a son of Abraham. And so now, and, and those, two, um, those two sons would eventually grow into great nations. But this is soon enough to where they're just kind of small tribes. And when you wanted to do business with Egypt and you were a small tribe, you, you went with other tribes. You combined forces and you hit the trade routes and you went to Egypt. And that did two things. Number one, it provided security and safety. There's security and safety in numbers. And number two, it provided leverage in business because you would, you would combine um, your resources and then go to Egypt, a powerful and rich nation, 
and um, say, hey, we got a little bit more leverage now in which to bargain with you and make, and make trades. And so I think both of them, Midianites and the Ishmaelites were together um, on the trade route going down to Egypt and uh, Joseph was sold to them. And then 36, verse 36, meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. And there's a little foreshadowing towards the future. Meanwhile, they sold him to Potiphar. And, and if I just think about that, I think, meanwhile, God is still at work and carrying on his good work, even though nobody may see it. Meanwhile, God's good and he's at work. And I tell you, um, Joseph didn't see it. What Joseph saw is I'd just been betrayed by my brothers. I've just been separated from my dad, who I love and loves me. I've just been separated to my future in which dad was going to um, make me an important person of the household that I would, I would uh, have a lot of um, wealth and riches and security come in and God's showing me that I'm gonna be used in some kind of significant way. And now I feel like I've lost, I've not only lost my robe, but I've lost the crowds and I've lost it all. I've lost my freedom. And this side of that, we think, oh, all things work together for good to those who trust God. But to Joseph, he's thinking, all things are out of control. All things are chaos. I mean, I'm a good-hearted guy. And now the most unspeakable things have been done to me and I've been sold as a slave by my brothers. And in our lives, we may be thinking, I'm in this pit and there's, there's nothing that makes sense to me about it. I am grieving, I am in pain, and it, I don't see how God is working. And I want you to hear this morning, meanwhile, God is good. And he is at work. And I don't have those answers about how. I don't know, but I do know this. God does not create us and then let his hands, his hands off. God, God is not apathetic to who we are and our needs. But God says, I actually wanna walk with you through life. Walk with you through the valley of death. I wanna walk with you through the seasons of life that make no sense and it just seems chaos and it's all negative. I wanna be with you, I wanna comfort you, and I want you to know that I care for you, I see every tear. I'm with you. And sometimes we get glimpses of his work. Sometimes we get glimpses that, that he enters into our natural world and the chaos and the things that are going on and he does something supernatural. We call that a miracle. And sometimes we see that. But most of the time, we don't see that. Most of the time, God is at work in the hidden realm and he's working in the chaos and he arranges the natural events of this world to somehow bring kingdom good. And I think most of the time, this side of heaven, we don't see how that's happening. 
Sometimes he gives us glimpses, but he's good and he's at work in the midst of pain and chaos and what's going on. The best thing that we can do is cling to him. And as we'll see, Joseph clings to him. I mean, uh, spoiler alert, did I tell you what's coming up in chapters? That must have been last service. But spoiler alert is, you know, he's, he's put into captivity. He's enslaved. He will be put into prison. He will be left in a dungeon to die. He will be accused of rape. He will be um, betrayed by people he's trusting. All the, while, all the while, he clings to God and says, God, I'm, I'm choosing to trust that you're good and that you love me and that you're at work behind the scenes somehow. And we'll see that God was in an amazing way. And so today, um, he's asking, will you cling to me? Will you cling to me? God's good, we can trust him, even when we don't understand everything that's going on and why. He's a good God, he cares for you. And he says, I will walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. I, I will be with you every step of the way. I love you and in the evil and the brutality and the chaos of the world, um, I'm still in my providence. Providence is God working in the natural things of life to arrange them in such a way that his good is, is done. That's the providence of God. He's good. And uh, let's pray. Just as you close your eyes and you, and you just think about where you're at and what you need to take away from today, I just want you to know that God is bigger than your life. He's bigger than your situation. He's bigger than the lonely dark cistern that you might find yourself trapped in. He's good and he cares for you. And sometimes this side of heaven, we're not gonna see all the ramifications of his goodness. But he wants you to experience his comfort and his peace and his wisdom. He says, hold on tight, cling to him. Maybe today uh, you have, you, you're just recognizing, you're here today because you recognize that you have tried to be in control of your life and you're, re you're realizing you can't control your life. Things are out of control. Um, and you, your abilities and your influence is limited. And there's gotta be hope in a God that's bigger than this. And I want you to know that God, God loves you. He pursues you. I believe you've been on that journey because he has been patiently waiting for you to turn to him. And he's saying, no matter what happens in life, um, you can go through the rest of your life knowing I'm with you and I'm walking with you and there'll never be a time when you're separated from me. And if you want to let God know that's, that's what you want to do. You want to trust him and cling to him then just pray to him and say, God, I, I know that you're a good God and you've been patient with me and you've been patient with me to finally turn to you. And today I do that. 
And I know that you are a good God who actually has made a way for me to be forgiven and for our relationship to be clean and for you to see me as pure and forgiven. And so I ask you to forgive me. And then, Father, would you begin um, growing me into the person that you created me to be, one who knows you and loves you and knows who you made me to be. And would you begin growing me up to be that person? Father, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you for your son, um, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross so that we can be forgiven and be called your child, your adopted child. And I pray for each person here, especially those who are going through a season of pain, sorrow, of being confused about what's going on and this is not making sense. Um, God, I know all the answers are not going to be answered or all the questions aren't going to be answered. But um, in the journey, Father, would you draw close to them as they seek you? Would you give them strength? Would you give them glimpses that you are near? And give them your peace. We thank you for your love. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. If you prayed along with me this morning and, and you uh, submitted your life and said, okay, God, I'm clinging to you. You are my hope. Um, this is the beginning of a, of, of a new season, a new journey, new part of your spiritual journey that I want to let you know that um, God says ultimately in that journey is we were not made to do that alone, but we are made to do that with others. And so if you would trust us, we'd love to uh, give you some ideas. I mean, one of the first ways we can do that is as soon as we're done, go to that center, center table out there and let them know that you prayed with me today at the end of the message, and they will give you some information that will just hopefully stimulate your mind as far as how can you begin knowing God more and actually he's with you and how can you begin experiencing him through your life throughout your week and so we just have some practical stuff for you with that if you're online and you're watching today thank you for joining us and um, we'd like to get that information to you as well if you made that decision so go to rolling hills um, slash next steps rollinghills.org slash next steps and fill out that information and let us know how we can get that information uh, to you as well so that you, we can help you in your spiritual journey. If you're new with us, thanks for being here. Um, if you want to know, know more about um, who we are and where we're going and, and how you can um, be a part of it, go the other side of those next, the next steps station is um, new here, start here and let them know, hey, you're new. You've been here a few times or maybe you've been here your first time and you'd like to learn more and we actually have a welcome gift for you. We'd love to get into your hands. So go out there and do that as well. Thanks for being here today and I pray that God blesses you and encourages you as you learn to trust him more and more throughout your days and your weeks. And we're gonna continue worship as we sing.